What's up, church? How we doing? It is so good, so good to see everybody here today. I want to take a minute and I want to welcome everybody who's watching right now online. And of course, everybody who's over at that South Side, South Campus, South Campus. We love you. We love you here. We love you there. And the best way we can show you is by clapping for you. So come on, will you clap for that person sitting next to you and watching online right now? We're so glad you're here. Yeah, man, it is, it is just, it's Christmas, everybody. It is the most wonderful time of the year, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just pumped. I can't wait uh, to get into our content today, but before I do, I want to give you just a little bit of an encouragement to do the Advent devotionals with us. So we're going through uh, 25 days of centering our thoughts on Jesus, all right? And so we have, we have a devotional on our app, okay? So you can go to our app. You can download it right there. It's also on our website. But it's going to walk you through centering your thoughts on the reason for the season. And the reason for the season is Jesus, okay? So it's uh, the parties are great. The decorations are great. The gifts are great. But that's not what this whole thing's about. It's about God sending his son and the son coming and dying for us so that we could experience all that God is and all that he has for us. And so uh, it's easy to get caught up in all of the extra stuff. And so we have to be centered on Christ. I want to encourage you to jump in. You will enjoy this. We've been doing this as a family uh, this week. And, and uh, my daughter, we, we handed out ornaments, little, little paper ornaments that you could color in. And so my daughter, she just got really excited, and she's already colored half the month. You're supposed to do one day at a time. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? She's an overachiever, okay? So um, anyways, it's, it's, a great, it's a great thing to do with your kids, no matter how small they are. There's something for everybody in this Advent devotional, and it will help you uh, get the most out of the season. So, all right, it's going to be amazing, and it's Christmas. It's Christmas, and, and I can't wait for Christmas. I, every time November 1st hits, okay, it's October 31st, get that out of the way, and then November 1st, it's Christmas time. <laughs> You know, and, and you, the music starts to change. You start seeing the decorations. Some of you overachievers, you get the lights out on your house, all right? I love that. Respect that. Uh, only love for, for that. And then, uh, and then, of course, Walmart's had their decorations out since June. But everybody starts to put their stuff out. Everybody starts to put their stuff out November 1st. It's, it's amazing. You know, you get the, the candles. How many get those evergreen candles? You know it's Christmas time when you start lighting those evergreen candles and your whole house smells like a Siberian forest. It's just glorious. It's just amazing, right? It's just incredible. It's fun getting ready for Christmas, and then you've got halftime, also known as Thanksgiving, coming right in there, right at the end of, thank, you know, November. You kind of get through it. It's glorious. It's a glorious halftime, but you turn the corner, and you got four more weeks, and it's Christmas. I cannot wait for Christmas, and, and, uh, and when you're a little kid, and you know Christmas is coming, it's especially exciting, right? It's just especially exciting. 
and my little three-year-old, I was getting the Christmas decorations up. Uh, Thanksgiving week, we were putting them up, and she said, is it Christmas time? It's Christmas time? And I'm, I'm, I'm not even joking. Skipping, running around the house. Just, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. I was like, well, yes. In a general sense, it is Christmas time. <laughs> we're not opening presents today. Just want to be clear so we don't have lots of crying later. It's Christmas time, but, but, but we're leading up. And, and that's actually what Advent is, okay? So we have this, this word. It's a, it's a term we throw out. It's a Christian term, Advent. It's the arrival. It's the, it's, it's the arrival of the king. The king is coming, and the king has come. That's, that's Advent. And so when you, look at, when you look at Christmas, and what's what I want to do over the next few weeks, I want to show us how Christmas is all about anticipation. It's all about anticipation. We look forward to Christmas, but Christmas has always been about anticipation. In fact, when you go back way at the beginning, Garden of Eden, everything goes wrong, sin comes into the world, God promises that a Messiah is going to come and make everything right again, okay? And he says, okay, there's going to be one, and we actually talked about this in our devotional this week with my kids. We talked about, uh, my, in fact, my son was picking up. He goes, no, wait. Now, so he goes, there were clues in Genesis about Jesus coming. And I'm like, you are beautiful. <laughs> this is amazing. This is a great moment. And so I'm just leaning in. And I'm like, yes, son. God says that there will be one who will come who will strike the devil. And he will, he will bite his heel. But, yes, God will get the victory. And his name is Jesus. We were having revival around the Christmas tree. It was so fun. And so, but, okay, so God promises that there's going to be a Messiah who comes, but it's 4,000 years. It's 4,000 years. That's a long time. It's a long time. Why, why all the waiting? Have you ever thought about this? Like, if you study, like, the, all of the redemptive history, you're like, why does God promise a Messiah to come and then take 4,000 years to bring the Messiah ultimately to fruition? Why, why, does, why so much waiting? It would have been so much easier in the garden Adam and Eve take the fruit. Eve eats it. She hands it to Adam. Adam eats it. Jesus just pops right down on the scene. Says, time out. All right, hold up. Sin's entered the world. We're going to take care of this. All right, Adam, go chop down that tree. We're going to make a, a cross real quick. Eve, if you can help with the nails. Let's just atone sin before this whole thing gets really, really jacked up. Like, it would have been simpler, right? Why all the waiting? Why all the waiting? And I believe that it's, I believe that it's actually two things. I think that, that waiting does something inside of us. Like the more that we wait, the more that we anticipate, the more that we look forward to God coming, there's something that's happening in our hearts. There's a longing. There's a desire. There's a, a relationship that's, that's growing and deepening. And that's what God wants for us, Right? And, and then secondly, I think it's that God is very creative. As the creator of all things, he is very creative. And I think that he likes being creative even in how he rolls out his gift giving. His gift giving. And he wants to show off a little bit how in control he is. He's sovereign. And so he says, you know what, okay. And he knew all of this from the beginning of time. He knew we were going to go astray, but he gave us the choice because he loves us. So he gives us the choice. We choose the wrong thing. But before all of that happened, he knew what he was going to do to prove how great he loved us. And, and the way I've thought about it this week is when uh, my wife and I got engaged. Um, I, it, was, uh, it, was, 
it was a great, it was a great day. I'll never forget it because um, I had it all planned out, like to a T. And, and so I, I, my wife and I, we met at a, uh, an art gallery. Before that, I had seen her in the lobby at church. And I saw her at the lobby at church after a prayer meeting. And I said, who is that? I would like to pray with her a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and so I tried to meet her. It was a long story. I wasn't able to meet her that day, but like, it took me a month to meet her again. And so I'm at this art walk, and, and I'm, I'm hanging out with a friend. She walks in with her friends, and I go, oh, my goodness, that's the girl I've been trying to meet for like a month. He goes, man, I know the girl she's with. You, you want me to introduce you? I go, dude, I'll give you 10 bucks. I never paid him. I've never paid him to this day. <laughs> if he goes to collect, I'm going to owe him a ton of interest. It's not going to be pretty. So, but I was like, all right, so we met in this art gallery. So when we got engaged, I was like, wouldn't it be cool if we got engaged in the art gallery? All right? And so, so I take her to sushi, and she doesn't know. She doesn't, she doesn't know what's happening. And so I have this whole thing planned out, and I have these giant pictures made of, like, some of our best dates that we've had. And to have them all put out along the art gallery. All right? Yeah, see what's up. What's up? And so, so we get done with sushi, and she's like, she's extra talkative this day. And I'm like, good, because I am very distracted, and it is very obvious. But she's talking. And so we're walking, and uh, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is great. Look over there, you know? And so she's looking over there, like, oh, and then we come up to the art gallery on the right. And I said, oh, isn't this where we met? Look at all the pictures. Come on into your new life. <laughs> and so we walk in. There's rose petals on the floor. And I have, like, two nice desserts at the center of the art gallery. And we have this whole moment. I ask her to marry me. Her family shows up 45 minutes later. I've got Andy's frozen custard on chill in the back, everybody. It's amazing. And I, and I did all of it because I'm like, I did all of this. I wanted to show you how much I love you. I thought about all this. I brought all this together because I want you to know I'm going to take care of you. I believe that's what God does with Advent. I believe that's what God does with Advent. He promises that a Messiah is going to come, and then he does all of this stuff, all of these miracles. He prophesies here. He prophesies there. He prophesies here. He prophesies there. He's like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And then all of it happens. And then Jesus shows up all in a way to be like, here you go. I love you, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. And I've done all of this just to show you how much I value you. That's Advent. That's Advent. And so over the next couple of weeks, leading all the way up to Christmas Eve, we're going to celebrate all of this Christmas Eve. We're going to talk about how God loves us and is preparing the way so that we can experience all that he is. It's going to be great. We're going to walk away better. And if you're ready to jump into some great content, say, I am. All right, let's do this. We got to go back to the Old Testament because Advent is all about the king is coming. We're looking forward. So you got to go back to the Old Testament. And you got to put yourself in that context because before Israel had kings, ultimately they had kings. But before they had kings, they had spiritual leaders. And really, before they had spiritual leaders, they just had a relationship with God. And that's what God wanted. God didn't want to lead through anybody else. He actually wanted to lead his people himself, the way that he led Adam and Eve, the way that he led Abraham. But sin messed all that up. Sin messed stuff up. And so 
because of sin, God started to use leaders. And he used people like Moses. And then he used judges like Samson and Joshua and Gideon. He used people who were, who were to kind of help lead them spiritually and kind of guide them into truth. Not to be their leader because God was supposed to be their leader. But to help kind of just bring all of it together. And then he also used priests who would help make the sacrifices so that people could experience God. All the while, and this is so important, all the while, God ultimately wanted relationship with his people because that's what God always wants. God wants relationship with you, like literally you. And he wants you to know him and experience him in a powerful way. All right, so you have all of these people, and then you have the last judge. We're going to come to the last judge in 1 Samuel chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there. Uh, you're going to want to follow along um, in your Bible or on your phone because there's a lot of verses here. And I want the Word of God to speak to you. So if you can, take that out. We'll have it on the screen as well. But 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel is the last judge. But he's not just any judge. He serves as a prophet. He speaks truth to the people. And then he serves as a priest. He also sacrifices for the people. He, he really is probably the closest thing to who Jesus will be since Moses, okay? So they had Moses, but Samuel is probably the best example of who Christ will be since Moses. And so they've got this great leader. He's leading them with authenticity. He's a good spiritual leader, but he's getting old. And so he has to have his succession plan. And the normal thing is that your sons would take your, your job, but except his sons don't love God the same way that Samuel does. And that's where we pick up 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. So they've made church into their own thing. It's all about them, the relationship with God. They've, they've changed the, the game. They've, they've made it about their own personal gain instead of God. So all the, il, uh, the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said, you're old. And your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. Now, we'll unpack that whole idea of we want a king just in, in a moment. But it's very important, I think, that you just realize one thing that they're saying that is, that is a very dangerous statement to make. And it's this. Such as all the other nations have. Let me just say this. Anytime you find yourself or, or I find myself saying I want what they have because they have it and I want it. That's a bad place to be. Anytime you're looking at what someone else has, says, oh, look at them. I want what they have. They have a bigger house. They have a nicer car. They have a perfect this, a perfect that. Whatever it is, when you say, I want it because they have it instead of God, I want what you have and what you want, that's a bad place. And it's a recipe for disaster. And that's exactly what begins to happen for the nation of Israel. It goes bad for them. Verse 6, but when they said, give us the king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They wanted somebody else. 
God wanted to be their king, but they wanted somebody else. They wanted something else to be their king. They're breaking up with God. And it's not the first time that they've done it. Verse 8. As they have done from the day, this is God telling Samuel, as they have done, done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt. He's like, it doesn't matter how much I've done for these people. They keep turning away, forsaking me, and serving other gods. So they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. He says, hey, this whole thing's going to go bad. It's going to be disastrous. But I want you to give them a choice. God's like, I know what they're going to choose. They're going to choose the wrong thing. But go ahead and give them a choice and tell them what this is going to be like. And this is the, the next few verses. Watch this closely. It goes, it's going to go really, really bad for the people. Verse 10. Samuel told him all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will sign to be commanders of thousands, commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He's going to take your kids and going to use them for his own personal gain. Then he's going to take all of your stuff, the best that you have, to feed all of his workers. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage. Verse 16, your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he's going to take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks. And watch this, verse 17. And you yourselves will become his slaves. Now, pause for a moment. Guess what? This actually happens. This actually happens. Solomon, not three kings later, three kings into this. You have, you have Saul, you have David, and then you have Solomon. Solomon is going to make his own people slaves to build his house. That's messed up. God says this is going to happen, and it does. Verse 18, when that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. So he says, I'm going to give the people a choice, and surely I'm going to lay out all these things, and they're going to choose the right thing, because thinking people always make the right choice. <laughs> right? <laughs> Option A, loving God who has taken care of you, who has provided for you, who has gone before you, who has fought your battles for you, who has done amazing miracles where all everyone else has said, wow, God is amazing. You can have option A, loving God, or B, human king who's going to take everything you have and make you his slaves. A or B. The option is clear. It's as simple as Starbucks or Folgers, <laughs> Andes, or Dairy Queen, Whataburger, come on somebody, or McDonald's. <laughs> it's, so, it's so simple. It's so easy. Surely the people are going to choose option A, loving God, but they don't. And you know what? We don't. Option B, we choose B. 
Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then, will we, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord, and the Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. And Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. You find out, as I mentioned, not three kings in, and they're enslaved. Not only that, but ultimately, the nations are going to, uh, the nation of Israel is divided into two, Israel and Judah. And they both end up being ruled by other nations. In fact, a number of them are taken into captivity, in chains. They're away from their land. They lose their country. They lose their identity. They lose their stuff. They lose their faith. It's messed up. And let me just pause for a moment because this is exactly what we get when we get what we think we need instead of following God. And so it's a giant mess. And when you read the Old Testament, you're like, oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Why would they do that? They kept. And it's a mess. And it's in the midst of this gigantic mess that God offers a prophecy through the prophet Isaiah that a king will come and make all of this right. Look, Isaiah chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Some of you are like, who's Jesse? You know, is this, is this Uncle Jesse? Is he back? What's going on? <laughs> Jesse is David's dad, King David's dad. So it's basically saying from the line of David, there will be someone who comes. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Who is this person and what will he look like? This is verse two. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness will he judge the needy with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. Isaiah is saying, hey, listen, y'all, you're in a mess right now, but guess what? There's going to be one who comes. There's going to be a king, and he's not just going to do whatever he wants, or he's not going to take advantage of you. Or or just please himself, he's going to reign with righteousness, justice, and truth, and he's going to raise up the oppressed, and he's going to redeem that is lost, and he's going to set free the captives. He's going to be amazing, and he is coming. And guess what? He came, and his name was Jesus, and he came and he ruled different, and he changed the game. He wasn't a selfish leader. He was a gracious leader. He, he didn't put himself first. He put his people first. He came, and he fulfilled it. It was amazing, unlike anything they'd ever seen before. But then you keep reading in Isaiah, and then there's some, prophet, there's some more prophecy. And you're like, okay, it gets a little bit different here. What's going on? Isaiah 11, verse 6. It says, the, the wolf will live with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. It's this beautiful picture, right, of, like, animals all just hanging out and not eating each other. 
And it's awesome. There's a little kid in there, and he's not afraid either. Like, this is awesome. But this hasn't happened yet. The first part has happened. His name was Jesus. The second part, it ain't happened yet. You put, let me just be honest, you put a cow and a lion together, that lion's going to eat that cow. <laughs> they ain't hanging out. That lion is having filet mignon extra rare. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so what's up with this? You have a problem. You have a promised answer. Part of it's there, but part of it hasn't come yet. What, what are you having? You have, you have prophesied in Isaiah the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus right next to each other. So guess what Advent is for us? Advent is God solving a very big problem. It's the sin problem. It's a problem we all want to be in control. He brings Jesus, and Jesus has come, but he is coming again. Jesus came, and he, he brought his kingdom. It's a new kingdom. It's a different kingdom. But he will come again and establish his kingdom for all of eternity. And his kingdom is going to look like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. And we will reign with him forevermore. And lions and lambs are going to hang out and not eat each other. It's going to be beautiful. Three thoughts as we look forward to Advent. We're laying the groundwork for this. First of all, we want a king. It's human nature. Second of all, the king we need is Jesus. And third, the king is coming. This, this is powerful. This is going to be so amazing. I can't wait to jump into to this with you. But before we do, finding uh, three people next to you and say, man, I cannot wait for Christmas. Come on, find three people and say, I cannot wait for Christmas. I cannot wait for Christmas. Okay. This is what it's all about. This is what Christmas is all about. First of all, we want a king. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. All of us, human nature, we're attracted to bigger things. We're attracted to things that are significant. Have you noticed this? We, we, we like celebrity. Have you noticed how obsessed with celebrity our culture is? Have you ever seen, have you ever met someone who's famous? Anybody ever met someone who's famous? Any, anybody, ever meet, anybody ever meet anybody just in your life? You just met somebody. Thought it was cool? Okay. All right. If you ever meet a famous person, if you ever meet a famous person, it's kind of like sometimes you can be like, what? you're like, oh, my goodness, it's you. Oh, I can't believe it. Like, you're like you. <laughs> you're like famous and stuff. Selfie? You know, like it's just right away. Like, and, 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 and that's, that, that's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. And, and it's kind of messed up, like, a little bit. But I think it's because we're hardwired for greatness. We're hardwired to be around things that, to, to be around significance. Look at what Ecclesiastes 3 says. He has put, God has put eternity into man's heart. So what that's saying is that all of us have this eternal void put in our heart. We all have this place that God has put in our heart. And guess what? Only God can fill it. So we want a king. We want something, we want something to make us feel significant. 
They said, give us a king like the other nations have. Someone who will lead us and protect us and fight our battles. They had all of that. What did they want? They wanted identity. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted significance. They wanted to make themselves feel great. Do you know what Israel's really saying in this moment? They're saying, we want someone to be in charge of us. But do you know what they're really saying? We want to be in charge. We don't want God to tell us what is going to be okay or what God's going to tell us what is acceptable or what God is going to say, this is what you should do and this is how you should live. We don't want that. We want to make the decision here. We want a king. This is messed up because even as they are expressing their desire for freedom, they're like, we want to do what we want to do. They're literally asking to be controlled by somebody else. They're saying, oh, we want to be free. Put somebody over us. It's ironic, isn't it? And this is what happens when we get our way. This is what happens when the human heart is allowed to do whatever we want, have whatever we want. We're like, oh, I want to be free. I want to do whatever I want. I want to be in control. You know what the result is? It's not freedom. It's bondage. You and I getting everything that we want, whenever we want, however we want, is not a good thing. The human heart, we've been talking about this, is inherently wicked and no one can know it. And that's what happens. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, they had ultimate freedom. They took it. Sin entered the world. It's what happens here with the nation of Israel. They lose their country, their identity. Verse 17, you yourselves will become his slaves. Not three kings in. And Solomon, he's got wealth. He's got wisdom. He's got everything he wants. But guess what? It's not enough. He wants a big house. And in order to get his big house, he's going to need a big labor force to build it. So he's like, you know what? All of a sudden, you guys, you work for me. The human heart left unchecked. And this shows us something really important. And this is a principle, a scriptural principle. If we're not led by God, we will be dominated by something else. God wants to lead us. He wants to lead us, as Psalm 23 says, by still waters. He, he wants to, to make his, ma- his name made known in our lives and to, to lift us up and experience the blessing of knowing him. But he will let us lead ourselves and he will let us put something else in that void that only he can fill. This is what happens when we sin. And Jesus says this in John chapter 8. He says, very, tell you, very truly, I tell you, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And, and how many of us have experienced that, right? We do something that we think is going to bring us freedom. We do something that we think is going to bring us uh, satisfaction because what we want. And it's never as simple as that, is it? It's never as simple as just that, that lustful thought, is it? It's never as simple as that, just that little uh, morsel of gossip, is it? A little bit of greed. That little lie. You, you take it, you think you're expressing your freedom, and guess what happens? A shackle gets put on you. And you know what? The enemy is so good. He's so good at just saying, oh, no, I'm going to just put this shackle on. But you can still move around. It's a long chain, isn't it? You can still move around. Look, look at all this freedom I have. Well, I'm still good. I still, I'm still in control. And all of a sudden, he shortens it. 
I'm still good. All of a sudden, he shortens it. And what you thought was just one simple decision becomes one move after another, eliminating your freedom. This is what he does. But the good news is Jesus came to set us free from this. This is what Jesus came to do. And this leads me to the second point, is the king that we need is Jesus. We want a king. We want somebody to make us feel significant. We want somebody to fill that eternal void in our heart. We want to be in control. We want to exercise that freedom. It's only going to result in bondage. We want a king. But the king that we need is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's the good king. It's the benevolent king. It's the kind king. It's the righteous king. It's the gracious king. It's the peaceful king. It's the one who came. And he lived among people. He humbled himself. He is the better king. He is the root of Jesse. And he fulfills every single prophecy. And he doesn't come in a a dominating way. He comes with compassion. He comes with grace. He comes offering life. He is the better king. You know, when he comes into Jerusalem, right right before he's about to go to the cross, you have this moment, he's riding on a donkey, and he's, he's entering the gates of Jerusalem, and, you know, it's, the, it's Palm Sunday. They got all the palm branches out, and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Like, they're all worshiping him as king. As he's coming into Jerusalem, they understand for a moment that people get the clarity. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the one who was prophesied. He is the king. And guess what he does when he comes into Jerusalem? Does he come and say, yes, bow before me, loyal subjects, and I will rule over you with an iron fist? What does he do as when he's welcome as king? He lays down his life, and he dies on a cross to make us right. The symbolism could not be more clear. Jesus is the better king. He is the best king. He really, truly is the only king. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. And when he shows up in our lives, he fulfills what he said in Isaiah. Isaiah, where he talks about that he's come to proclaim good news. He's he's come to set the captives free. That's what his ministry was. He's constantly looking for ways to establish and bring the kingdom of freedom and grace and light and truth. It's who he is. It's what he does. And he does it better than anybody. We want a king, but the king that we need is Jesus. I just want to tell you, you don't need anything else to be the center of your life. Your stock portfolio is going to let you down. Your job is going to let you down. And it doesn't even have to just be, it doesn't have to be like bad things. It could be also good things. Good things that we put at the center of our lives. Could be our kids. Could be our, our, our jobs, the, the, the stuff that God has blessed us with. Whatever we put at the center of our lives that is not Jesus will not fill that void that only God can fill. We want a king. We're hardwired for it. But the king that we need is Jesus. The good news is the king is coming. The king is coming. 
Advent, it's all about looking forward. We'll count down the days. And you know what they did in the Old Testament? They counted down the days. And counting down, God, can't wait for when this Messiah is going to come. This one that Isaiah is talking about, we can't wait for him to come. Isaiah 11, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. They all knew one of David's grandchildren. It's got to be one of you. Somebody's going to come from this line, and he is going to make everything right again. And there's prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. You can look in your, your free time, Deuteronomy 18, 2 Samuel chapter 7, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 53, the whole chapter really. Micah 5, 2, Zechariah 6, 12, Malachi 3. You can look at all of the different prophecies. They're in total 324 prophecies proving that Jesus alone is the Son of God. And guess what? He fulfills every single one of them. It's amazing. Do you know what the chances are of some one person fulfilling all of the prophecies? It's astronomical. It's literally impossible. And guess what? Jesus fulfills every single one of them. And it's almost like God's like, hey, listen, I'm going to do all of this. I'm going to set all this up. I'm going to put pictures of us all over the art gallery. And I'm going to lay rose petals on the floor. And I'm going to walk you by. And I'm going to let you see all of it so you can say, wow, you must really love me. Guess what? He does. He does. And he's done all of this. He's done all of this to show you how important you are to him. And he lays his life down not to rule over us with an iron fist, but to give us an opportunity to be led by him into real life, life that lasts forever. That is the good news of the gospel. He came. But maybe the best news is he's coming again. He's coming again. Not unlike Isaiah, we find ourselves in a situation where things still don't look completely right. The lion and the lamb are not laying down together yet. We have heaven in our hearts. We have a kingdom of joy we are being ruled by, but there's still a lot of brokenness. There's still a lot of stuff that's messed up in our world, but God is coming again. John 14, and if I go, Jesus is talking, and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be where I am. I'm, he says, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to prepare that place, but I'm going to come back and get you so that you can experience it. Hebrews 9, just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring ultimate salvation to those who are waiting for him. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God and the dead, and Christ will rise first. And after that, we are still who alive, will be left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. The king has come, and he is coming again. He proved it. He's going to prove it again. This world is still broken. It's still messed up. There's still stuff that isn't right. 
We have a glimpse of eternity, but he's coming. He's going to come and, and let us experience all of it. And what will it look like? Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to rule and reign. And the lion will lie down with the lamb, and he won't eat it. And it'll be like, this is, this is it. This is it. We are, we are at home. We are at home with each other. We are at home with our, with our God, our Savior. What a day that will be. We can celebrate what has happened, but we look forward to what will happen. He has come, and he's coming again. We want a king. The king that we need is Jesus, and the king is coming. The question is, will he be your king? Will you let him? God is gracious. He is kind, but he will not force himself on anyone. And if you are set on being the king of your life, God will let you. If you are set at putting something as the king of your life, he will let you. He loves you too much to control you. He steps back and says, hey, I'm going to let you. I'm going to invite you. I'm going to do all of this. I'm going to paint this amazing, glorious picture. But then I'm going to step back and say, will, will you accept this? Will you, will you receive this? Will you enter into relationship with the living God? He's done all of this just to show you how valuable you are and how much you mean to him. But we have to say, Lord, I let you into my life and I let you be king. You can have it all. Every part of me, I hold nothing back. We live for him, not perfectly, but we live with devotion. We say, Lord, I will bow to you. And when I fall, I will bow to you again. And I will serve you. And I will make you my God and my king. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for, for Advent. As we, as we take time and prepare our hearts over the next days and weeks, we, we, we are recognizing what you have done. We are recognizing who you are, that you are king, that you told us you would come, and Lord, that you did come in amazing fashion in a way that is undeniable. And so, Lord, we say that your, that your kingdom come in our lives. Lord, we pray that your will would be done. Lord, I pray that you would be our king. For every person in this place, Lord, I pray that we would that we'd bow our knees in joy and surrender. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to take a moment. I just want to ask you, you're here today. And you're hearing this message. This is the gospel. And maybe it's, maybe you haven't heard it before. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time. You're like, this is amazing. God loves me that much that he would die for me? Yes. Yes. And he wants you to know him. He's done all of this. He's given you this gift, but you have to receive it and open it. And you receive it by faith. You say, God, I'm in. I want what you have for me. So maybe you're here today and you've had religion, but you haven't had relationship. 
Or maybe you've had knowledge, but you haven't had the experience of walking with God, letting God lead you. It is the most glorious thing, the most glorious thing. And it's, it's available. And it's not, it's not by you doing a bunch of stuff. It's just by you simply believing, receiving and believing. And God is here in this moment. And he wants to come into your heart. And if you're saying, man, this is speaking right to me, I want to ask you in a moment, just respond. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in, in a second. If you're saying, Scott, this is speaking right to me. I want to pray for you, and I'll believe God to do something powerful in your life. But you say, man, this is speaking right to me, and I, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Maybe for the first time or for the first time in a long time. You're saying, I need to surrender. I want to pray for you. And I want to believe God to change you from the inside out, and he can and he will. If you're here today and you say, man, this is speaking right to me, I, I need to make a decision both locations online. Would you just raise your hand and say, Scott, would you pray for me? Hands going up all over. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Back there, back there. Yeah, anybody else just want to pray for every person? Yeah. Yeah. Say, just reach out. Just begin to pray. Say, Lord, I want to give you my heart. Lord, I pray for every person who's in this moment, in this place, in this moment. Father, I pray that you would just make yourself so very real. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal yourself to them in a powerful way. And they would open up their heart and say, yes, God, you can have it all. That we would bow our knee to your Lordship. Father, we thank you for it. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down to the front, and if you raised your hand, you said, man, I, could, I, I would like to have someone pray for me. I, we'd love to pray for you. I believe God to do something powerful in your life. Or maybe you need prayer for anything at all, healing, just encouragement, discouraging situation you're going through. We'd love to pray for you. We believe God to touch you. We believe God answers prayer. And if you made a decision to follow Christ, we're going to take a moment right now. We're just going to worship, and I just want to encourage you just to let your... Let your heart connect with God and say, God, I turn to you and I look to you and I give you everything. And I'm asking all of us to do that. Can we just lift our hands all across this place? And in a moment of prayer, in a moment of devotion and dedication, we say, Lord, be our everything. Be the thing that is above everything. Be our God, our King, our Lord. Help us to live for you be the greatest thing in our life and fill us with the encouragement that comes from knowing you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, let's worship.